Yo, do I have a treat for you? This is the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for your support of the podcast, man. I appreciate it. I truly, truly do. And this episode, I promise you, it is illuminating to say the least. This was one of my favorite episodes that I've done of House of L because you are not going to believe the the twist and is an M. Night Shyamalan episode of the podcast. More on that in a second. We are brought to you by the fine folks over at Mazda of Orland Park. ZoomZoomNation.com If you're thinking about buying a car, that's where you should buy it from. They're good people. And they support all the weird stuff that I do, whether it's here on the podcast or me doing Twitter. And because they support the podcast, I can pay people to do episodes of the podcast. Like later on this week, I got something for you on the video game front. And that's because I have the funds because I have great advertisers like Mazda of Orland Park and David Hochberg. If you are looking to buy or refinance your home, you should call David Hochberg. Here's his number. 855-56-DAVID. And when you call him, tell him that I sent you to him. It's important. 56david.com is the website if you'd like to check out some of the testimonials. Homeside Financials, an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. Marley Caden has been a person that I've wanted on the podcast for a really long time. And the reason is, is that I know that she has varied skills and tastes and history. I didn't know how varied it was. I had an idea, but there was stuff in here that I didn't know about Marley. And I'm so glad that we had the chance to really talk about some things. And and as you'll hear, Marley's going to be back on the podcast. You'll figure out why I said that once you listen to the podcast. You can watch her now on Chicago's Best, which she's done incredible work for. And it feels like yesterday that she started working on that job and she is completely fit to do that job like her personality comes beaming through whenever you're watching it on channel nine they do a wonderful job of spotlighting all of these great restaurants and bars and pizza places and everything else that that you love on chicago's best so i was really happy that she was able to to kick it with me tell me a little bit about how she got over there telling me about the the weird twists and turns that she's had in her career. Marley and I had a very small, very short crossover at Channel 5. It was towards my the end of my tenure at Channel 5. I was working there as a weekend anchor, and then I got an opportunity to go work at 120 Sports, and 120 Sports was like, well, we'd like to have you every morning do a show. I'm like, well, you know, I do a radio show till 10 o'clock at night. They're like, here's some money. And I was like, oh, all right. So I had the choice of working extremely hard for five days 
and getting two days off or working extremely hard for seven days and not getting any days off, but having my mornings free. I decided to take the door number one. Joe Ostrowski actually asked me the other day, he's like, how did you do that? And I honestly don't know because our meetings over at 120 were at 5 a.m. So I get off the air at 10. God, I used to love when the Illini or DePaul was playing. Whew. Get off the air early. Be able to go to sleep. But I get off the air at 10. I'd be home by 1030. I'd be asleep by 11. And I'd be up at 430-ish around there. Because there's no traffic. And I like to speed. Anyway, Marley and I, we had like, I would say maybe like three or four months where we were both at Channel 5 and she was doing traffic and on the weekends and I was working on the weekends too. So every now and again, I would run into her. She's fascinating. Really, really fascinating. And I need to shut up because I want you to hear from her. But when I tell you that this This episode is one of the more interesting ones that we've done. It's because of what her life and her career is about. And all of the twists and turns that got her in front of you on Chicago's Best. I think you're going to dig this episode. And I think you're about to find out why we in, in the poker circles, the charity poker circles in and around Chicago, call her the Black Widow. I feel like I'm blowing up her spot right now by telling you this, but if you were in a charity poker tournament and you see Marley Caden walk in and you're at her table, ask to move to another table because you about to get got. She's fantastic, and she gave me an hour of her time. Check this out. Chicago's best, both literally and figuratively, Marley Caden. You know, it's it's funny. Um, we're gonna have to go, we're gonna go back to graduate school. Um, I went to the Dill at Northwestern, and I was an intern. I was Larry Potash's intern, my last quarter of grad school. And obviously, you know, WGN is a great place to work, and I really liked interning there. And I got a job at Bloomberg right out of grad school. My, if this is something people don't, some people know, but if you don't know me well, you don't know. My master's is actually in economic journalism, so I'm a finance journalist by trade. And, you know, it makes sense. I cover traffic. I host a food show. It's it's perfectly aligned. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, that makes total sense, right? We'll, we'll get back to that. I did find my way back there for five years and while I was at NBC. Um, but I, I was at GN. I got this job at Bloomberg. It was great. Um not quite as much television as I had been hoping. I would turn between three and six stories a day, and I'd do like, you know, one TV hit in a week. And it was an amazing place to work. It just, it just wasn't what I was hoping to do with my career, and I was worried I was going to become a print writer. And that's a great job. That's what you wanted to do, but I wanted to be a broadcaster. I saw that WGN had a reporting job open, a freelance reporter, and I knew it was a long shot, but I, I applied for it and I wrote this huge cover letter and it was so silly. I um I like included like my emails from people in the newsroom when I was leaving about how like nice praises that they had for me and like thoughts about me in the newsroom, <laughs> which now I look back with so juvenile, but it seemed right at the time. It was earnest at least. And 
uh, I I didn't hear anything back, and I, I was you know I watched, and I know the person that got the job had been there for a long time, had been a freelancer, and I randomly get this call, and it was like, hey, do you think you could do traffic? I see, like like the roads traffic. They're like, yeah, do you think you could do traffic? Like, um, sure. How long do I have? They're like, we want to test you in forty eight hours. I hopped on my DVR. I went to every traffic anchor's social media page, just trying to learn the vernaculars. I mean, at this point, I don't even know that I had ever been on the Reagan or like, I knew where things were, but like I had never driven a lot of these roads. I was so wildly inexperienced, but I was a commodities reporter for Bloomberg. So, I mean, I must be able to do this, right? <laughs> and it was a bit of a fake it till you make it situation. I taped every morning newscast. I watched every single hit by every single anchor in town, just trying to get the vernacular because I mean, it's it, traffic is such an interesting beast because it's its own language and the roads aren't called the numbers. The roads have names, but the names have abbreviations. And if you don't say them, you look inexperienced. And it was learning all of that. And I tested and then it turns out that the need was dire. And I was on air 72 hours later on CLTV. Wow. I learned Sarah Jindra, who is now the lead traffic anchor at WGN, was on CLTV at the time. And she had transitioned to be heavily filling in on WGN. And she taught me the day before I was on air how to use the maps. Because you build them. Everything you see on TV is built by the traffic reporter, except for one in town. One has a producer. But all the rest of us had to build every graphic that you saw on television. We built that. We wrote all the text. We selected the location. We put all the icons on. We did all the movement. So you're doing all that behind the scenes and trying to remember the traffic that you're trying to report. So, okay, I you got to walk me through those 72 hours. What are you feeling in those moments as you're scrambling? Like, basically, you're cramming for a test. Yes. Um, the good news is I'm, a, I'm an expert crammer. I was, I was a, always a, a overnight, night before the exam kind of studier. So I was, I'm, I'm good there. I'm a bit of a procrastinator in my studying, but I like a good jam sesh where you just get it all in at once. Uh, but I, my background for half my life, I was a professional actor. So for me, it was more like preparing for a role was how I had to look at it because it couldn't be me on TV. It, it, I had to be an actual traffic reporter, which I was not. So I just decided I was going to look at it like I was preparing for like the biggest audition of my life, which essentially I was. If I messed up, I could never get asked back. And I, I just looked at all the people that we have on air doing traffic here, and I did my best to take the pieces that I thought they did best and turn them into my version of a traffic anchor. Wow. Like that, that to me is amazing to be able to take a skill that you didn't already have added to your own skills and then present it in a way that it was going to be not just passable, but good enough to get you a job in the third market, third largest market in the country. That's, that's a pretty amazing story, Marley. I kind of, you know, I kind of snuck my way in here. Like I got to stay because of finance because Bloomberg hired me and then, but then I was here. So it was like, I have to be here. I can't go to Fargo. I can't, move you know to little rock arkansas i i had to stay here and i just got really lucky that traffic was my way in and it, 
it wasn't something I ever saw myself doing, but it's something that I'm very grateful that I did. What's the most annoying thing about doing traffic? That everyone thinks you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, why does everyone think you're an idiot? They do. There is such a stigma with being the traffic reporter that like she must not be smart enough to cover the news. When in reality, you know, news is its own beast. They're not comparable things. But traffic is so fast moving and you have to remember so many different pieces and we don't get a teleprompter. So everything that you see is coming directly out of my brain to my mouth and into your living room. And there's a huge amount of pressure with that. And it, it takes a completely different set of skills, but it's it's challenging. It's challenging to remember all of the details and have someone telling you in your ear when the details change and coordinating with a chopper and then you're seeing something happen in real time and you're trying to relay it to the people to explain what they're looking at. It it was much more difficult than I ever anticipated that it would be. And for all of the traffic anchors and reporters out there, I appreciate what you're doing and I know how hard it is. So know that there are people that appreciate how hard you are working, even though it sometimes is not necessarily thought of as the most prestigious position in the newsroom i look at your personality and i immediately think comedic actor like that that's what (laughs) so so were you serious were you a serious thespian or were you someone you thought i was a comedic actor you know i think i'm funnier now um i think i've just gotten more caustic as i got older (laughs) i was i was always the ingenue i was the, the disney princess and I was once told that my teeth were too big and I showed too many when I smiled to ever play the villain. So I wow. never got to play the villain. Really? But I feel like that makes an even better villain, right? Yes. Someone who's like, smiling. That's a really twisted villain. But in theater, they want you to look, you don't, there's, there's no second layer. Everything has to be surface. You have to look like the villain at first glance. You walk out and everyone should know that's the villain. And I don't necessarily fit that. So. Huh. I love being the princess, though. It didn't being an ingenue never bothered me. What was your favorite performance, and what's your favorite piece of work? Oh, mm. that's like picking a favorite child. Unfortunately, I only have one. Uh, my favorite performance I ever did. I played Ava Fron in Evita, and that's probably the one that I am most proud of because it was the most difficult and the most draining on me as a person. Uh, My favorite piece of work, probably Rent. And I never had the opportunity to do it. And it's one of my, my greatest career regrets that I think, I think I probably won't have the opportunity to do that show ever, but I just think it's such a remarkable uh, a piece of theater and it was just incredible what Jonathan Larson did to to take La Boheme and make it so approachable and set it in downtown New York City and 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 really bring a, a classic opera theater story to the masses and do it with incredible music and really great characters. If I asked you which character in Hamilton you are, who would you say? <laughs> have you seen Hamilton? I have. I feel like there should be a very obvious answer, but I'll be curious to what your answer is. The obvious answer is Eliza. Yes, I am an Eliza. <laughs> but I mean, look, if you would have said to me that you were Thomas Jefferson, I would have been like, okay, let's explore well, that. You know, 
would be Thomas Jefferson, because they're one of the few shows that is doing off-tape casting. Uh, but typically, like when you're a working actor, part of being successful or being marketable from an agent perspective is that you understand what your roles are. And a lot of agent interviews, when you go to try to get a, a bigger, better agent, is what parts could you currently play on Broadway? And if they don't align with what they see you as, they will not take you out as a client, no matter how talented you are. So you have to know your, your brand and how people view you versus like, even though I might love the songs of another character, I'm never going to sing them because I will always be that one type. How frustrating is that though, for like the growth of someone who wants to experiment and try things out? Like you were saying, like you could be the villain just because you have a beautiful smile doesn't mean that you can't be the villain. The Joker has a beautiful smile and he's the scariest villain in Batman. I would love to be the Joker. Like there's a dream role. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't so much frustrating. I, I just felt really fortunate that I worked. You know, theater is not, not an easy industry. Being an actor, it, much like media, is not an easy industry. And I was just so grateful to be working a lot of the time that I was happy. You know, and, and playing the ingenue is not usually very taxing. It's happy. You're singing everybody's favorite songs and often my favorite songs. And you're the character everybody roots for. And there's there's not really a negative to that. Were there parts I wanted to play that I won't get to play? Sure. But uh, I never looked at it as restrictive, per se. My height was an issue because I'm very, very tall for theater. But that was that was far more restricting than anything else. Do you remember a moment when it clicked that you wanted to be on stage? Oh, wow. Um, I started doing theater when I was in fourth grade. I did my first professional show when I was in sixth grade. And I just, I, I loved it. I mean, I, I've always been um, kind of nerdy and really studious and, and education and having a really great one was always very important to me. And I, I went to the University of Virginia undergrad and I wholly intended to get a JD MBA right out of school. And I took my LSAT and I took all my exams and I think my parents could feel that I was sort of like hemming and hawing about what was happening in my world. And I was just so determined to do this and get more education. And, and it was like April of my senior year and I was finishing out the applications. And I said to my parents, would you guys be disappointed if I moved to New York and just like tried for a year? And my dad was like, oh no, we've just been waiting for you to tell us. That's dope. It's so funny as parents, like now that I'm a parent, obviously my daughter, she's two, she's not even old enough to like have this conversation, but how much you know about what your child is feeling and thinking like before your child can even communicate to you what's happening. And clearly in that situation, my parents knew the whole time and I'm blessed that I had supportive parents that were all for it and said they would help me in any way they could. And they wished me the best and they never missed a performance and they were there for everything and I, I was just very lucky in that respect that they supported that. And I never ended up going to law school, but I did get a journalism master's. So <laughs> I got some more education. I'm kind of in the same boat that I was deciding on what it was that I wanted to do. And there were three things that interested me. Broadcasting, teaching, and going to law school. And so at the end of my senior year, I got accepted into Tulane to go to law school. And so the, mm -hmm. the, the idea was I'd go to Tulane. The Navy would pay for it. I'd join the Navy, 
and become a judge advocate general, right? I got the internship at Channel 9 in 97. And that was like, that was the thing that, there was like the tiebreaker that I was now, I had the chance to like cover the bulls and stuff. And I said, oh, well, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then I, I look up and 23 years later, I'm still working in the industry. But I do have those moments where I'm sitting there going, what happens? What's the sliding door effect of me going to law school? Like, where am I right now? Am I on a ship somewhere? Like, what, what am I doing at this point if I take that route and go to law school instead of saying screw it and, and starting over in broadcasting? I'm a firm believer that you always end up exactly where you're supposed to. So I think even if you had gone to law school, you still somehow would have found yourself in that chair. Well, and the cool thing is that I then ended up back in a classroom. Now yeah, teach you're, you're teaching. So you're still ticked off two of the three boxes. Heck, you can still tick off the third. Well, after I finished grad school uh, last year at Alabama, I, I think I'm done. I thought about, like, oh, well, I'll just keep going and going and I'll get my Ph.D. And then I'll, I'll I'll be Dr. Holmes by the time that I'm 50. And then after doing grad school at a really accelerated pace, I'll I'll I'm good. Like I, I've I've done what I needed to do. And I got that master's degree. You checked off your second box of teaching. We'll just leave the we'll just leave the law degree as a what if. Yeah, we'll just leave it as a what if. What was that that time for you? Like, like how, when you finally talk with your parents about this, how relieved were you that you could now kind of start pursuing the things that you were passionate about? You know, it's funny. I, I am a type A perfectionist to the T. So for me, even though I knew that I was doing like what I needed to do to feed my soul, I always felt a little bit like I wasn't like reaching my potential. And I and always feel that way. I always feel like there's more I can be doing. There's more I should be doing. I'm capable of doing more. And thinking that way is obviously not good. Um, and it can get you into burning out. And I, I, I've overextended myself at times here in broadcast. And I've for five years worked seven days a week and wow. loved it. But it's it's definitely a way of thinking that can can get you into some troubles. Like sometimes I still think about like if school wasn't so expensive, I would absolutely go get my JD MBA. I don't know that I do anything with it, but I love school and I really want to have it. Okay, I mean, I, I look, I get that that pull, like that tug of of wanting to to have those letters like behind your name. Was was you don't strike me as the type of person that school was difficult for. Was oh, I love school. Yeah, I, I would be like a consummate student. I love school. If if I could get someone to just let me go to class for free, I would take 10, <laughs> cla 10 classes a week. Do you think that you could handle a remote environment to, to do your JD MBA? Yeah, yeah, that'd certainly be easier. It does feel yeah. that way, doesn't it? Like, that's what I did at Alabama. And I was surprised at... I couldn't imagine like what would have happened if I was going in and out of classrooms. Like, I think that would have bothered me. I actually liked being left alone to my own devices to figure things out. Well, sure. I mean, it's, I, I missed the, the social interaction portion of it. I mean, I was 
uh, we're all social creatures. Everyone in media is a social creature by nature. But I would miss that. But I think just because of where I am in life with like having a toddler and we just got a new puppy and wanting to see my husband, it would be nicer to be able to do it on my own schedule. Like everybody goes to bed, I go to class. And you'll you'll fit that into the seven days a week that you're working. Yeah, well, fortunately, I'm not doing that right now. Or maybe unfortunately, I don't know. But before Grace was born, I like... I loved it. I don't, I don't know how I did it for so long, but I, I worked five days a week. And at one point I had three different broadcast jobs all going at once. And I'm not sure that anybody in town really knew about them all. Okay. So, so, okay. Walk me through that. What was that like? So I, I made, I, I got into traffic at WGN. We already covered that. I was on sale TV. Uh, I, I got a call from Frank Whitaker about, could I potentially be Kai Martin's fill-in? And I went over there and did a, a weekend morning. And then he asked if I would come on the weekends permanently. And I was so grateful. And, and NBC is an incredible place too. And you know this. And I, uh, I happily went over and did weekends. But it was two days a week. And I would fill in for Kai as needed. But that shift is over by 9.30. So I did all of the midday coverage from the floor of the CBOE covering options. For five years, I sat next to the bell, up top above the STX pit, and did all their midday coverage. And I don't know that, I mean, people at NBC knew, but I don't know that anybody else really even had a clue that I was leaving and going straight to another job until 2 o'clock in the afternoon, getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning. What's the floor of the CBOE like? Oh, it's very different now. Uh, when I started, it was um, it was what you wanted to picture. It was more like what you'd see down at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, open outcry pits. I think there were seven open pits still when I started. By the time I left, uh, there were three. There were three open outcry pits. And then the whole back half of the floor had become like cubicles and offices. And it, it really, it was a changing time. Technology is just changing how everything works. And Technology will always be faster than any human can be, and automation is always going to be faster. And unfortunately, it's sort of removing that part of the finance industry. Now, it'll still always be there, I think, uh, just because of the nature of the trade floors, but it's definitely lessening. What's something simple, simple to you that you wish the average American knew about finance? I wish that people understood that you can bet against a stock. It's called shorting, but I, I think people think like, oh, I'm gonna go buy that stock. But they don't realize that you can also do the reverse. You can buy it to perform badly. And it's a really great way to make money. And it's a very easy thing to do. But I think it's that the whole world of finance and money, especially when it's your money that you're dealing with, is very, very scary and unapproachable. And part of the reason I went into economic journalism originally was that I wanted to find a place in news to make approachable finance journalism, to be able to say to you, example, when CPS was having all the issues with paying the teachers and the teachers were striking because they weren't paying them, people would just say, I don't understand why they don't just pay the teachers. What was not being told was that CPS's debt had been positioned in such a way that it ended up growing enormously and they didn't have the money to pay those teachers. But that part of the story was too complex. So everyone just 
sort of left it out or put it in like a one sentence version that Cranes had written and seemed acceptable. So they just read that sentence and then moved past it. I really wanted to be the person that explained it to you so that you could understand. Or like right now, explaining what different tax positions of our presidential candidates could mean for you, what they could mean for your, what the real estate implications are, what it could mean for your mortgage. I think these are the things people want to know, but there just isn't really a place on local television where that exists. Why do you think financial literacy is such a, a taboo topic? Because I've, I've come across it now on this platform and talking with people about different things where I feel as if even in our business, in media, people don't ever talk about what they're making and so other people are kind of blind when it comes to what they should ask for. And so, th- th- like, I wonder why there are so many taboos when it comes to money. What's your opinion on it? Yeah, I think those are two different things. Two, I, 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 two absolutely. slightly different things. Um, I think part of it, part of, let's talk first about the why people don't share their salaries. I think part of that's an ego thing, because I think usually most of us are making less than what people actually think that we're making. And I think there's some ego portion in it. I usually am pretty honest. If it's a person that I know that I trust won't go write it on Twitter, I will usually give you a very close window of what I think is appropriate for you to be making in your role based on what I know I've been paid in the past. Uh, but I think there's there's some portion of ego to it. And then I think the other portion is self-preservation. I think people are afraid to say, I make X, because if enough people come in behind them and say, I'll, I'll take X minus 10, is that person still useful? Or did you just cost yourself a job because you allowed people to undercut you along the way? I don't look at it that way. I'm just saying, I think that's probably some of the argument. And on the financial literacy side of understanding more about money what what could and should we do i honestly i think it's a school issue i think it's we teach so many things in school and and i obviously i've already discussed i love school but i don't know why basic finance isn't one of them and i'm not talking about economics class like a macro and microeconomics. while that's useful it's only useful to you if you want that as an industry basic finance should be taught to people like you're Trigonometry is important to learn, but it doesn't need to be a year. You're not using trig at the grocery store. You're not using trig to figure out what your mortgage payment's going to be. Those are important life skills that people should have, and they probably should be having them in high school. The mortgage thing, I think, would be extremely helpful for people in just trying to figure out, should I buy something or should I rent something? Well, 100%. I mean, and it's and this is the thing that, that I think there's such a place for in news and not in financial news, in For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. The local news in regular broadcast news that people consume on a daily basis, there should be a segment that talks to you about what is happening in the markets that could affect you, like things for your 401k, like what's happening in the big mutual funds, because that's where most of 
our money is placed. Even though we don't know that, that's what's really making us money. That's where our 401ks are. And also with mortgages and stuff and like who our elected officials become can affect your mortgages. It can affect Fed funds rate. It can make your rates drastically lower or drastically higher. And like, these are things that people should know, but I've repeatedly been told that there isn't a place for it. I can tell you, um, you should do a pod on this. Like for real. Because I need another thing. To I know. I'm, I mean, you could do it once a month, Don't but tempt me, Lawrence. Don't tempt me. if you, well here I will, cause I love expanding what I'm doing on the podcast. If you ever want to do an episode, I can pay you. I can't pay you a lot, but I can pay you if you ever just. I, I don't need payment. If you ever just want to do a financial episode, let me know. I will put it out for sure. Well, I will, let's do one. All It'll right. Be fine. We'll, we'll inform people. Okay. I like that we'll idea. Keep, we'll keep everyone knowledgeable. We'll do the best that we can to help them out with their finances because they need it right you know, now. We'll do the best that we can with what we've got. The no, motto of 2020. No doubt about it. So. So I'm sure that the people that have listened to this conversation so far are like, okay, wait, let me check off the boxes here. They're like, okay, stage actor. All right. Traffic reporter. All right. Master's degree. All right. Wants to go back and get a law degree and host of a food show. And (laughs) that comes to what I do for a living. So, so how, how did Chicago's best happen? You know, it was, uh, your podcast is great because it's all about media. And I think it really highlights what a small media community it really is. Even though it feels so broad and reaching, it's really a pretty small, tight-knit community. And you, you get to know a lot of the people in it just naturally by being a part of it. And I... It just sort of happened like fate. I told my agent that I was burning out. I had a, I think Grace was six months old at the time. And I had a newborn baby, essentially. And I just I just couldn't do the weekend mornings anymore. And traffic was never my my dream or my my end goal. And it was looking more and more like that was going to be it for me. And and I just, I needed a change. And I was hoping it didn't involve getting up at two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And I told him this on a Friday. And on Sunday morning, I was at work at my desk at NBC. And I got an email from Larry Wirt to my Gmail, which I later found out how he got. But I was like, I don't know how he had my email, my personal email. He's a, he's, he, he knows everyone and everything like that guy. There's no doubt that at the time, but he's the master of the universe. And he just, it was a, it was two sentences said, Hey, need to talk to you about an opportunity. Call me if you're interested in a job. I immediately called my agent. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you work so fast. You're the best agent in town. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. That email had just randomly come two days after I put out into the universe that I might need a change. And that job was Chicago's best. Wow. So, so when you're presented with Chicago's best, what was your first reaction? Well, um, I, I took a bit of a gamble because they wanted me to do a test episode and a test episode that aired. 
And oh. I was on air at NBC. And I knew that in doing it, I could potentially lose my job. But I also felt confident in my abilities to get the other job. And so I did it. And they offered me, fortunately, they offered me the job. Uh, and uh, and I left, you know, and I left on good terms. I, I love everybody at over at NBC. They're still my family. I still, I still say our about both stations. <laughs> when I refer to channel five, I'll say, oh, an hour this. And when I talk about channel nine, an hour this. It, it's a very familial place. And I have nothing but wonderful things to say about it. It, it really was just a, a lifestyle change that I needed for the, the place that I was in my life with a baby. So, and I didn't want to burn out of the industry altogether. With all the things that you've done and, and working in finance, like that's a pretty serious, like hardcore thing. And part of the reason that I, I said comedic actor, like I see you flawlessly on that show, like just being yourself and having fun with all of the different places that you go and the people that you talk to. I imagine that that was a, a refreshing change from more of the buttoned up stuff that you were doing. That's the perfect way to describe it. It's such a refreshing change. I, news, especially here in Chicago, is, is pretty dark. And it, that can be taxing on you physically, mentally. And it, it's such a nice change to go from often talking about what might be the worst day in somebody's life to walking into a restaurant for what could potentially be one of the better days of these restaurant owners' lives. They're so excited. If I could bottle up the feeling that I get when I walk in with our Chicago's Best crew into a restaurant and everyone is so excited that we are there, like I would bottle that and save it forever because it's just not something that can be recreated. And it's such an honor to be on a show, especially right now, that is actually making a difference. You know, when I when I moved to the show, it was like, I'm moving to entertainment journalism and food journalism, and it's going to be more fun, and I'm going to get to show more of my personality, and, and that's great, and it, it's all those things. But right now, our restaurant industry is struggling in the worst possible way, and the fact that we have been able to keep our show on air and still feature these places and try to help them get every last ounce of business that we can helps me sleep at night. Has there been a place that you've walked into or a dish that you were served that you were surprised at how much you liked it? Not that you liked it, but you were like, man, like I have to make a point to come here or get this whenever I can. Yes. I've had a few, I've had a few of those moments. Uh, there's a, I'll, I'll name one if you want. There's sure. a, a little tiny, there's a little tiny Italian place on Grand. It's kind of right by D'Amato's Bakery. It's like Grand in May. You probably have driven past it a hundred times, and I don't know that you ever would have noticed it's there. It's called Oji, which means today in Italian. Um, which, funny enough, it is not run. It's run by a, a, a Latin family, which is my favorite part. <laughs> they have the most exceptional food and like that's coming from an Italian and it was such a welcome surprise and then I got the added bonus that when we filmed with them the only time this has ever happened since I've been on the show when we imported all the footage the footage corrupted and we had to go back and do an entire reshoot 
So you got to eat again so over I at OG. I got to eat them twice. And they were even better the second time around. I mean, that's a lot to ask of people that aren't used to being on TV. I mean, that's a daunting task. Let us come in. Let us take over your restaurant. Perform for the cameras. Like, bang, dance, do the thing. And then let's do it again. Right. After after we've sent everyone home, we're going to call you and be like. We're going to call you. And you're immediately going to think, oh, my God, we were so bad that they have to come back. Even though that wasn't it. We really, we lost the footage. It corrupted coming in. We lost half the shoot. And they were so great the second time around. I mean, they were even better if that was possible. It still to this day is one of my favorite segments and will remain one of my favorite restaurants for both the food and the people that run the shop. I keep wondering, like, what are the areas where you think Chicago's best, like, could expand? Like, well, what what things are, and I don't want you to give away any secrets, but are there areas where you think you could do different things? And, like, maybe a wacky idea that someone's come up with and everyone's like, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. So when I came on the show, you know, of course, it's a show that's been on air for a long time. It's been on eight years. And... I was new and, you know, new people always have all these ideas and, you know, we try to come to the table with a lot because you're trying to like seem like you're valuable. And I, I thought, oh yeah, we can do Chicago's best everything. Like it doesn't have to just be food. It could be so much more than food. And everyone was like, crickets, (laughs) crickets, crickets and glares. So it will always just be Chicago's best restaurants. Okay. I mean, that's fair. But you can play. I mean, you guys have played around with it, too. Yeah, right? every every episode has a theme, and it is fun because it changes week to week, and, and we're making the most that we can. Like, right now, we're filming uh, an outdoor patio segment, but we're focusing on places that have outdoor patios that people can continue to go to in the winter. That's important. They have heaters, and they're like... Uh, either screened in but still open air so that people feel safer and you're not indoor dining you know, we pivoted everybody pivoted since the pandemic started and i think that's the most important thing to try to keep anything to maintain its value or to keep it on air or is to try to pivot with the times and you know that's what we're doing i'm hoping we can get out and shoot even just in masks with people because i'm just craving a, an interaction with someone that isn't over zoom but i'm happy to have it so is there any particular place that you miss that you haven't been able to go to because you're being cautious or because it just doesn't make sense or because you just don't have time because you have a toddler? Uh, are there places that I miss? Most of the places I go to regularly are just in my neighborhood because it's easier. And then with this, it's, you know, I don't, I go to walkable places because I don't want to hop in an Uber or anything. I guess I just miss like, big group dinners like we had a girlfriend's 30th birthday dinner planned right before all this happened and I had found this super cool place on the show it's a Filipino place that does what's called Kamayan dining but they basically just place like 20 pounds of food on a round table and you all just go at it it's brilliant and I thought it was going to be like such a good experience and we didn't get to do it because everything shut down and I think I missed that I think I missed more the like large group interaction and and being able to have that fun and not feel the pressure of like, oh, is this person getting too close to me? Like that person doesn't have their mask on. It, it would, we didn't realize it, but life was extremely carefree. No doubt, no doubt about it. I don't mean to uh, blow up the spot here because 
I enjoy watching when this plays out whenever I see it every year. But you are a terrific poker player. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and I really love like I'll be at a if we're at a charity event, I'll look over at your table because I can see I can see the men being like, oh, oh, there's there's the lady from TV. And then when you clean the whole table out, they're just sitting there with their mouth agape. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. You didn't know that the Black Widow was coming to the table. I love that you guys call me that. I think it's so funny. I love that I have a nickname in the poker world here. Like, I will I will hold dear the Black Widow forever. You know, it's funny when I, I guess I should start with how I learned how to play poker. My dad, um, to this day, still plays poker every week. And he put himself through law school playing poker. And it's what? it's his greatest love outside of our family. And growing up, it was something that was so important to him. So I obviously wanted to learn how to do it. And I wanted to be very, very good at it so that he would be very proud of me. And I read all the poker books and I would play with him at the table. And I played more and more in college. I got in every poker night I could get into, even though you had to beg as a woman to be in a poker night. Nah, we don't really want any girls in poker night. And then I would get kicked out after a couple of weeks. I bet. But I, I just, I love it. And there is a, a sort of a stigma with, with anything, you know, much like how women approach most of life, you're naturally not as inclined. And I don't know why people think that. But I really loved to lean into it before word got out that I knew how to play. I remember it was the first time I met you. Uh, Dan Bernstein was the MC. I introduced myself to him. I introduced myself to you. I, I introduced myself to Matt. I sat down. I'm at this table. And they're like, here's your bounties. There's your, there's your media players. And I wave. And everybody's like, oh, it's the traffic lady. And I just sit down and was like, well, if you need any help, just let us know. And then the dealer says to me, "Hun, if you need anything, just ask, okay? And I was like, no, oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. And it was very kind because they didn't know. Maybe I was just there doing a good deed. Like, and I was, but I was also there because I love playing. And I remember the guy next to me was so serious and he had sunglasses on and a hat. I just thought the whole spectacle was so silly. And I remember him like just completely disregarding that I was even there. And he was so sure he was going to take the table. And he kept talking about I'd been at the final table. And I go, if they're both red, is that okay? Or do the shapes have to match? Oh, you're the best for that. And he goes, whatever you think is best. Oh. And I was like, I'll go all in. He's like, I will too. <laughs> I flipped my cards. So I don't even remember what I had. I should remember for the story. And he looked at me, it's like, my dad's a semi-professional poker player. Huh. Like, yeah, huh. So I hope he thinks next time about judging a book by its cover. I did that for a long time until Bernstein blew me up on the radio and told people to watch out for me at those events. Yeah. I, I'm, it's, but still, even still, even this last one, even this last one. Yes, that, even no matter what you guys can call me the black widow everyone can say i play and i'm still never gonna be as good as the guy next to me right and like people thought I, like, at my own table at my own table i was like yeah marley could win the whole thing y'all don't even know and they're like really i'm like yeah so if 
if you end up at her table, like be ready because we're not playing. And just because you had on a fancy dress doesn't mean that you weren't there to take somebody's money from her. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just love going. You know, it, it's I've only ever won once. And part of that is because a lot of them are on Friday nights and I used to work mornings. So I would just have to go all in until I got kicked out eventually because I couldn't be there until I had to go to work. Uh, but I just, I love playing it. I, I never um, would accept the prize. So even if I won, I would always donate it back to the charity or have them give it to the, the runner up. But it's just, I mean, you said it. It's like just being underestimated. You just want to prove to everybody, like, don't do that. Don't do that. And if I have to kick you out in the process, I will knock you out of this tournament just to teach you a lesson. And I love it. But I really love like talking to everybody at the table. That's like the highlight. You know how I feel. I hate when I get a table full of quiet people because then I'm that annoying girl that just keeps talking to everyone and like, hi, I'm Marley. What's your name? Why are you here? What brings you in tonight? How do you know the charity? And they're all glaring at me like, please make her stop. Please make the Disney princess stop what she's doing. <laughs> please make her stop babbling at us. <laughs> well, I'm glad that uh, that you are doing all the things that you're doing, and I'm so grateful that we finally got a chance to to do this and get you on the podcast because I think that I am too. I've been an avid listener, so I'm really excited to be on. Although I hate listening to my own voice, so I may have my mom listen to this one for me. So, so wait. After all that time on stage, after all that time on television, you don't like the sound of your own voice? Does anyone like the sound of their own voice? Okay, so one of the things I do with my students at DePaul is a couple of things. But one of them is the first exercise that I have with the class. If I have the class in person, it's a little different on Zoom. I have them stand up and I say, pick whatever topic you want, any topic you want. I said, I want you to talk for a minute. And then I, I pull out the stopwatch on the phone and I time it. No one ever makes it. They never, because people don't realize how long a minute actually it's excruciating. is. It's so long. And then when they do their first shows in the studio and they listen back, they're like, oh my God, I sound like that. I'm like, yeah, you sound like that. And there's nothing wrong with the way that you sound. It's just, we can work on anything that you want to work on, but it is something that, that frightens people when they, they have to hear themselves back. It's weird. It's, I mean, I go through it a little bit. Like I've gotten over it. I would say over the last five or six years, but that was still after, you know, 15, 16 years in the business of listening back to yourself. So I, I get I can it. I can palette it. I watch every one of our episodes. I used to record the newscasts and watch myself back. And I don't even know that I was watching back to like change anything in my vocal presentation. I just, I don't know. I just, I never was, I always find something wrong. Like there's always something I could have done better or changed or that I will do differently. And I, I guess that is what keeps me evolving, but I always find something. I could watch any my best performance and still tell you something I would have done differently. Were you like this when it came to stage performances too? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, my mom says I was like this as a child. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, all right then. Then that... That that makes a lot of sense that you carry and look, it's carried you to incredible success. So that's a really, really cool thing. If someone who's listening to this wanted to follow some of the paths that you followed, what's the best piece of advice that you could give them? Fake it till you make it. 
I agree with that. I think it's it's really important because no matter what you are starting out at, you are going to be less experienced than somebody else. You will never be the most experienced person in the room. Even at the end of your career, there will probably be somebody there that has more experience than you. So just don't let that lack of confidence ever creep in. It's so important to just be confident. And if you don't have it there, fake it. You go home, you be worried about it at home, you judge yourself at home, you critique yourself at home, you call everyone you trust to help you better yourself. But when it comes to the presentation or the performance of your job duties, you just fake it till you make it. You emulate the person that you think does it best until you do it better yourself. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. This was a delight, an absolute Thanks for delight. Having me. I feel like I talked about 700 things. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. Like I'm doing all right. Like I'm, uh, I'm busy. I'm really busy. And that's a good thing. It was weird. Is a little bit of a setback to to get laid off by NBC Sports Chicago, but I'm trying to look at it as a positive. Like I'm trying to look at it as there's more time to focus on the podcast, and the podcast is doing really well. And it's actually like this month is kind of crazy because I had projected that I would hit a million downloads by next August, which would be three years. And I think I'm going to make it by February. See, it's not a setback. It's just a rope bump. You're right? still moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. So I'm working on a lot of stuff. It's weird. It's, I wasn't used to working at home. I hated the concept and the idea of doing the radio show from home. But I've come around on it now. Lean in. I'm, I'm leaning into it. Just I, lean in. I'm trying really hard to lean into it, but... Um, it's good. It's really good. And you're kicking ass and I appreciate you spending some time on the pod to, to Happy explain to it. it to Happy you. to do it. I, uh, I'm going to think about the content for our financial, for our, let's call it the layperson's finance. Yeah. I'm approachable finance. I'm also going to think of a catchier title because the layperson's finance really isn't very fun. Scrub <laughs> 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 that from this. Oh I, my goodness. I honestly um, believe that if you did a podcast or a radio show, uh, I think that either one of those ideas could work. But if you want to try it out on my podcast, you're more than welcome to. Hey, we'll inform your listeners. They're going to be like, what happened? I thought this was a show about people. Who's this girl talking about mortgages? What's going on? <laughs> well, hey, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring people into the tent. I am trying to cast a wide I'm just net. To get you that one million number okay thank you that that will that's what that's what's happening you'd be shocked i guarantee you that that episode does big numbers i trust that it will do all big right numbers. i'm gonna put together a layout we'll talk about stuff you wish you knew more about make sure some of that's in there and then we'll, we'll put something fun together and we'll have fun marley teaches lawrence about finance yeah it'll be fun fun finance fun fun oh there it is there it is fun finance all right we can we can work with that be it's well be go sick. get a nap uh, thank you, and I'll, I'll let you know when this is going out, okay? I can't wait. Thanks for having me, buddy. So, yeah, that episode is going to happen. Marley's already got her wheels turning on how we're going to do that episode. 
And, and what her journey tells you is a lot of times it's about in this industry, I, I can only speak in this industry, but I'm sure that it happens in other industries. Sometimes it's just about getting your foot in the door, the fake it till you make it. Like if you think that you have an opportunity to do something, I always tell students the answer to these questions are yes. When I was an intern and my producer quit and they asked me, Jeff Joniak asked me, do you think you could produce this show? Yes. You'll figure it out. You're smart enough. You can figure some of this stuff out and you can ask for help in some cases. But I love hearing stories like Marley's because you don't, it's not linear. And the thing is, whether I was talking about me teaching or her talking about finance, she can still do all of the stuff that she learned at Medill. She can still use and working at the board of trade. I think she's got a lot of talent. Like she's a lot of fun. The Disney princess thing threw me. Cause I, I knew that she had done some stuff, but I wasn't quite sure of what it was. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, I've been around Marley. Like she's super smart and really, kind of fun and bubbly. I was thinking she was improv. I was thinking second city, that sort of thing. Not serious dramatic acting and stuff. And you get to add that to your repertoire as well. And then you have this this crazy career of where she is now. But I'm glad that that she was on the podcast and I'm not kidding. She's going to be back and we're going to talk about finance. So if you got some questions about financial literacy and you would like Marley to answer those questions, hit me up, houseofelpodcast at gmail.com. And I will get those, those questions and we will use them. And maybe, maybe I can convince Marley that this is like once a quarter or something. She comes on and she answers questions, especially right now. I think a lot of people have questions about what it is that they they want to do and what they can do financially. And I think that it's one of the hardest times that I've seen financially. And I'm not talking about specifically me. I mean us, no Sotros, we, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I, that's who I'm speaking for. I'm actually okay, but I know there are a lot of other people aren't. And there's a lot of different tensions on why we're not, financially okay and trying to figure out what the best steps are is really important i also think that if marley wanted to do a radio show or a pod like if she wanted to do her own pod on this it would be extremely successful i imagine like her radio show like in my mind i imagine calling mary over at gn and being like hey you should put marley on the air and give her a radio show mary doesn't just give away radio shows that's why she's one of the best executives in the business Side note, got to get Mary on the podcast. She's really tremendous. One of my favorites. And honestly, in a backwards sort of way, she's probably the person that that got me into podcasting because she's the person who used to book me on Doll's show. Her and Stephanie and that crew that used to work for Steve when, when Stever was out here in the podcast hinterlands in the wilderness doing his podcast people are like what's doll doing he's crazy to be doing this digital stuff meanwhile 
He was way ahead of the game yet again. But Mary Sandberg is a beast, man. One of the smart programmers in our business. So, yeah, Mary, if you listen to House of L, and I don't know if you do, you should give Marley a radio show. But not until we finish the episode for House of L. That can be her demo reel. Cool? Cool. I like doing these interviews. Someone asked me the other day, I'm going to ask Mitch if I can bring it back, maybe even for next week. We'll see. I did an interview with Jeffrey Bear from Channel 11, and I really enjoyed it. But it was on the score, so I got to get permission to pull that audio. I don't think Mitch would mind because it's not like we're going to use it again on the score. Like That was before sports came back, and I was being allowed to do some more experimental stuff. And that episode... Like that 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 show I thought was really good and he was great. So maybe I'll pull that and and bring it over to House of L. Speaking of House of L, we are brought to you by the fine folks over. T Bachberg! 56david.com is where you can take a look at the website. 855-56 David is where you can call him. Call him if you're thinking about buying a home or you're refinancing a home. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 11240. Six one. We are also brought to you by Mazda of Orland Park. Their, their website address is really easy to remember. ZoomZoomNation.com. Remember the commercial? Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Yeah, that's them. ZoomZoomNation.com. All right, I'll stop being silly now on this podcast. But I do thank you for your support of it. Go back. Scroll back through. Scroll back through. I've been doing, I moved from one place to another as far as who's hosting the podcast. So I've been adding in some of the older episodes. It's been a thing because I'm not as technically inclined as I would like to be, but I'm getting there. So scroll through, go see if there are episodes that you haven't heard or people that you're like, man, this person would be great on House of L. And you realize they were actually on House of L six months ago. I know that I've got new listeners. The numbers tell me that. And I thank you for jumping on board. Subscribe. Give it five stars. Write a five-star review. Tell people how much you love this podcast. Thanks to Marley Caden. She's outstanding. Check her out on Chicago's Best. Oh, shout out. I I, I should have said something. I, I wish I would have asked her because I should have I should have said shout out to Elliot, her, her co-host on Chicago's Best because he's really great, too. I love his style. He's another one that I should put on the list of people to get on the podcast because his story is also interesting. I appreciate you. Talk to you next time. Peace.